on the people of Charlottesville. We ask for a work of grace in the hearts of white supremacists and neo-Nazis. We ask that they would see Jesus and that they would understand that it's your desire for us not not to be exalting one race above another, uh, but to celebrate that you have broken down the dividing wall of hostility and that um, you desire men and women of every tongue and tribe and nation to revere the name of Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I spoke to you last week from Haggai chapter 1, which is one of those books that nobody ever looks into. Um, and I do want to give one other little comment before I get into the, the message, part of the message. And that is to say, you know, Nathan said a few minutes ago that summer is flying. And uh, the truth is, summer is flying. And pretty soon September will be here. And September 10th is our ministry kickoff Sunday. Um, and I wanted to give you an early heads up about two of the adult classes that we're going to be offering. So um, the first one is going to be taught by Heath Hansen. And Heath is going to be leading us through um, world religions and cults, right? And I'm I'm so appreciative of this because we're in a time when truth is under great attack, and so Heath is seeking to bring some light on the issue of what do other religions believe, what do the cults believe. So he's told me that he's he's going to be exploring why they exist, what they believe, and then what impact they have on society. So I look forward to seeing Heath up in front teaching that one. And then also uh, Brother Dan Arms, back in that corner, uh, is going to be leading a class. And his class is going to be called More Than Redemption. And uh, More Than Redemption just sharing the idea that too often we have defined salvation too narrowly. That we, we, we learn that we put our faith in Christ and that we are assured of eternal life, as Kelly and the worship team were focusing on this morning. And Dan's class will look at expanding that and saying, there's a lot more to the idea of being saved than just knowing that you're safe when you take your last breath. That Jesus wants to be at work in your life now, and so Dan's class will will focus on that. So it's good stuff. Um, I'm going to be sitting out for the fall. I will be... Uh, I will be directing a play over the life of Martin Luther, and so I'm pretty sure I won't have a bit of spare time coming up here. Um, all right, the message. So, I was wondering as I opened this message, have you ever been a part of something that was really great, grand, successful, and now that thing has fallen on hard times? I bet that's an easier thing for those of us who have a few years under our belts to answer. Um, one thing that came to my mind was the whole kind of east-central part of our country, from western New York all the way to Illinois, that has picked up the affectionate nickname the Rust Belt. Right? This used to be America's industrial heartland, and now um, it's factories that lie idle, income 
that is declining for the people in those cities and a population decline as a result of the income decline, the fact that people can't make a living there. So then I asked on Facebook, I said, give me some other examples of things that uh, would, would be great at one time in history and have declined recently, and oh my, how you responded. Um, Sears and Roebuck got a lot of votes, as did Kmart, Radio Shack, Amtrak, and Blockbuster Video. Things that used to be great. Um, the Ringling Brothers Circus, the Red River Valley Winter Shows. And I, I never heard of the Red River Valley Winter Shows, and so so I had to write back to that person. I said, what? And she gave me a description here. She says, um, she grew up in Foston, Minnesota. She says, it used to be a huge ag-centered show in Crookston, Minnesota, drew people from several states uh, in February, so the heart of winter. Machinery, dairy and horse equipment, silo companies, livestock, fiddler's contest, fiddler's contest. What could be better? Quite fun and something to look forward to. So those were kind of business related. Um, other people responded more broadly. Um, Route 66 across the central United States. The mainline churches. Greece. Landlines. And gluten. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and these last three, these last three are a little more thought-provoking. Um, statesmanship, logic and reasoning, and common sense. And I agree with those. And, and I also want to have you consider, what about a little closer to home? Maybe you've been a part of a club or an organization that once was really thriving and now is not so much. And you probably have emotions related to that experience or life situation. And if, if you do, if you've ever been through something like that, you're going to identify really well with the people of Judah as we look at the passage today in Haggai chapter 2. So um, if you've not arrived yet at Haggai 2, you should probably make your way there. Uh, it's one of those books that doesn't get flipped to all that often. And so if you have trouble finding it, start at Matthew and then just back up just the slightest little bit, maybe maybe 20 pages, um, and you'll hit the tiny little book, two chapters of Haggai. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me introduce the idea of what's going on here. And if you weren't, I'm going to recover that one more time. So I'm talk a little bit about what's going on in history. Um, the, this book comes out of the history of Israel. And so I'd said last week, Israel at one point was a united kingdom, right? Uh, there were all the 10 tribes, 12, well, 12, 12, 12 tribes. They're all 12 tribes together. And they were united under the kingship of David. And then they continued united under the kingship of Solomon. 
So David, Solomon, and that's about 1,000 B.C. into the 900s B.C. And then after Solomon, things begin to go south. The northern ten tribes split off to their direction. The southern two tribes split off to their direction. And the northern ten tribes just had it bad the whole time. After the divided kingdom, every last king is evil, and they go further and further and further into adultery until God says, I'm going to bring in somebody even worse a.k.a. the Assyrians. The Assyrians are going to come in at 722 B.C. and they're going to wipe out the, the northern ten tribes entirely. And they achieved this by bringing their people in, taking many of the northern ten tribes, the Israelis, out, um, and then intermarrying their people with the people who remain. And the result was the beloved Samaritans of the Scripture. Right, And I say beloved ironically because the Jews really, 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 really did not like Samaritans. All right, then we move on to the southern two tribes. 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonians come into the southern tribes, and they do essentially the same thing that happened to the northern ten tribes, and they carry off a whole bunch of people, especially the elites, the educated, the handsome, the intelligent, Right, they carry them off and they send them to Babylon, and the result is a destroyed Judea, a destroyed southern two tribes. But the southern two tribes had God's promise that a remnant would return to reclaim their homeland and that that would happen 70 years after the captivity started. So the cool decree that Cyrus the Great issued in 538 B.C. and said, I want these nations, including the Jews, to repatriate their homelands, to go back and rebuild. And in fact, not only do I give the decree that they're supposed to repatriate, but I'm going to finance it too. I want to send along the money that they need to do this. So some of the Jews return and they begin rebuilding Judea and then they get discouraged because there's opposition from the Samaritans and who knows what else is going on, and they quit. And so 538 B.C. turns into 530 B.C., turns into 525 B.C., and finally in 520 B.C., Haggai, the prophet, stands up and he says, Thus says the Lord, it's time to rebuild his house. A whole bunch of you are saying, in the time has not come to rebuild the Lord's house, but the reality is that uh, y'all living in your paneled houses and the, the Lord's house needs to be rebuilt. So let's do it. Okay. That's essentially Haggai chapter one. Okay. And the people respond in obedience and they come together and they begin to reestablish the house of the Lord there at Jerusalem. So that takes us into Haggai chapter two. I'm looking at verses one through five. And the way I'm going to take the chapter today is I'll read a segment and then we'll talk about it. I'll read a segment and then we'll talk about it. All right, so there's four sections, Haggai chapter 2. Verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnants of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong 
O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So, um, verses 1 through 5, God asks some questions, mostly rhetorical questions. Uh, the first question, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Now, I didn't mention it this morning, but remember David and Solomon. David had wanted to build the temple, but God forbid him from doing that and said, I want your son Solomon to build the temple. So Solomon built a beautiful, beautiful temple to the Lord, uh, dedicated in 964 B.C. And they worshipped in that temple from 964 B.C. all the way to 586 B.C. All right, and then it was destroyed by the incoming Babylonians. So who of you remembers? Well, wait a minute. So we're in 520 B.C. So that means that if you are older than, say, 70, because it's a 66-year gap. So if you were 70, 75, 80, 85, and anything older than that, you would remember Solomon's original glorious temple. But remember, the resources are very diminished right now because we've just spent 70 years in captivity, and so Zerubbabel's temple is a very stripped-down version of what they had previously. And God acknowledges that with them. Who of you remembers this? Yeah, they remember this. Doesn't it seem to you like nothing? Yeah, it seems to us like nothing. And the response to that, if you read, and you can do this later, but in the end of Ezra chapter 3, all the people come together at the first, the opening worship, the reestablishment of temple worship. They come together, and the younger people are celebrating because temple worship, true worship of the living God has been reestablished. Okay? The older people are wailing because they remember what it used to be like, and it's not like that anymore. And it says the noise of the two groups mixed and mingled so that you couldn't tell one sound from the other, and the sound carried across the entire plains around Jerusalem. It was such a great noise. So, um, God's with them in the disappointment, and God tells them how to handle the disappointment is the best part. Look at this. So, it's uh, verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. So there's one be strong for everybody involved. Zerubbabel the governor, Joshua the high priest, and then the whole remnant of the people who were with him. So the, his counsel is, folks, you're going to have to push through this one right? in my strength. So it's not, not an attempt to push through on their own, but it's an attempt to keep going because you know that the presence of the Lord is with you. That's the time when you cannot give up. I want to camp a little bit <clears throat> on this idea of being strong. You know, in my work, in my ministry, in my extended family, I sometimes come across situations that are tragic and heartbreaking. And I sometimes have no idea what to do with those things. 
And so in those moments, I go before the Lord. I pray for his grace and his mercy to work in those situations. Um, sometimes I talk to my wife. If you're married, you know what a comfort it is to have someone that you can turn to. And I'm not saying that you should burden your spouse with every last thought that comes into your head. Um, but it is it is great to have somebody to bounce yourself off of in those ways. Um, and sometimes concerns come across your path. And I need to say this because we're 21st century people and we're being bombarded from every side by stimuli and input from every source. Sometimes you have to look at a situation and to borrow my wife's words for that situation, you have to say, not my circus, not my monkeys. Right? That you simply cannot solve everything that comes with the input. And some of us are wired that way. I am wired to want to solve every problem that comes in front of me. And friends, I'm not adequate for that. And you are not adequate for that. So my encouragement is to determine what the Lord's calling you to do and then do it. That's where you be strong, right? When he's calling you to do it, you be strong. And when he's not calling you to do it, you trust that he's called somebody else to do it and they're going to be strong, all right? So be strong. Second segment, here we go. Haggai 2, 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Well, these three verses, four verses, these four verses, um, are kind of uh, cosmic messianic verses. Uh, the first, first little bit there um, deals with the shaking of heaven and of earth, and of all nations. And this very likely refers to judgment. Right? God says, I'm going to shake the nations. And along the way, there's little shakings, right? As, as you, dare I sing a line from Hamilton for you? Oceans rise, empires fall. Right? Empires fall. And new empires take their place. And that's the way it is under the sun. And the next empire that they're going to be dealing with is the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire will fall to Alexander the Great in about 330 BC. And that's possibly what Haggai was prophesying there. Um, and then you get to the New Testament and Hebrews 12, 26 and 27 relates this to the final judgment, right? There's a time when Christ will return to judge the world and the created things will be shaken, and they'll be shaken so hard that they'll be out of the way, and that will reveal the spiritual reality behind everything, the unshakable spiritual realities, and that will lead to the ultimate, final, and complete rule of Jesus Christ. So that's the idea of shaking there. And then there are 
messianic references in these verses. So if I say messianic references, I mean something related to Jesus Christ who is going to come 500 years after this is written. So um, you see the phrase where it says the desired of all nations. The folks who wrote the King James Bible translated the King James Bible. The folks who translated the King James Bible really, really wanted this to be a messianic reference, and so they they translated it, um, the desire of nations, and you see that in your Christmas hymns sometimes. Um, it probably isn't. Honestly, the grammar there does not support that translation very well. Um, the ESV probably has it better. ESV renders that the treasures of all nations. Um, it probably refers to money and resources coming in from nations that do not love the Lord yet to support the Lord's work in the temple here. So that one is probably not a messianic reference, but a little bit later, there are two of them. Right? Um, so he says, uh, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. That's a reminder to them that God owns all the resources and that they just need to ask. Right? If, if they need something to finance a ministry, they just need to ask. Um, and then verse 9. Verse 9. Um, the glory of this present house will surpass the glory of the former house. Um, how? That thing's a crackerjack box. I mean, in terms of actual physical presence, it is not going to surpass the glory of Solomon's temple. Um, this is a messianic verse, and it looks forward to the day when Jesus will stand in the temple courts. The one to whom the worship is directed will stand right there, and he will be praised by the people in the temple. That is how the temple will have more glory than Solomon's temple. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus glorifies Zerubbabel's temple, and that's how this verse can be the way it is said. Um, and then there's another promise right in there at the very end, um, and in this place I will grant peace. Now, I have no doubt that the worshipers who came there experienced a measure of God's peace right away when they were worshiping. But the fullest expression of this peace comes when Jesus is present with them and then is present with us by his Spirit. Romans 5.1, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Friends, ever since the fall, this is what humanity has been missing. See, the knowledge of our sin and the reality of the separation between sinful us and a holy God results in a lack of peace. And so... Uh, we know that we have failed to love God fully. We know that we've failed to love our neighbor fully. And so in our own flesh, we fail the test every single time. And that brings us to the heart of the gospel. 
that God gave his own son to fully atone for all your sins. Your past sins, your present sins, and even the sins that you haven't committed yet. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees you forgiveness for everyone who's in him. See, when you come to a saving relationship with him, you have peace with God. Side note, we don't always live in that peace, but it is there. That peace has been purchased for us, and we have access to it at any time. Third segment, Haggai 2, 10 through 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, No. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Is that not the strangest series of questions? So, um, these are some questions for the priests. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shorten that down to some just really simple, simple, simple questions. All right, question number one. If you got some consecrated food and it touches some non-consecrated food, does it become does does the other food become consecrated? And the priest's like, no, no, it doesn't. Well, what if you touched a dead body and then that person touched some food? Does that food become defiled? Yes, it does become defiled. You say, what is going on here, right? Well, there's probably two lessons built in here, and they're kind of the same lesson, right? Um, Lesson number one, people fall into sin. They don't usually fall into holiness. See? Did you notice? The consecrated food did not rub off on the non-consecrated. The defiled being did rub off on the non-defiled. And so it seems to be a lesson that... It's pretty easy to fall into sin, right? You don't really have to work to fall into sin. The sin will just come and find you. And unless you deliberately say, no, we're not going there, you'll fall into sin. And then 
you don't deliberately fall into holiness. I, I was thinking about this, like, how do you understand this? Well, it's kind of like exercise, right? If you want to be fit, what do you have to do? You have to do the sit-ups. You have to do the push-ups. You have to do the treadmill. Treadmill. Stairmaster. Whatever. You can tell how much I work out, right? Um, and, and fitness is a result of self-discipline and care about the issue of becoming fit. Holiness is a result of the issue of caring about God, caring about who He is, what He's doing in your life, and desiring to walk in His ways. You don't fall into holiness. You strive in a good way into holiness. Um, and there's probably a second application here. The, the people who had returned from Babylon may have thought, hey, we're back in the Holy Land. That means we're holy. We're home. We're good. And God says to them, just because you're in the Holy Land doesn't make you holy. Just because you're in the oven doesn't make you a biscuit. right? Just because you're in the church doesn't make you a Christian. And so he's reminding them that it's about walking with him and not about simply a occupying a geographic space. All right. And then there's a rediscussion of how if they, they thought they were coming to get 50 measures of it and they only get 20 measures of it, he reminds them of where they were and what he's called them out from. And then finishes with comfort. Comfort. From this day on, I will bless you. Final segment. Haggai 2, 20 through 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. I was going through this passage with my children about a week ago, trying to understand it for myself so you, you practice on the folks at home, right? This is a fascinating and grace-filled final verses of this chapter, okay? So, first of all, there's, there's a revisitation of judgment, right? Tells Zerubbabel that I will shake the heavens and the earth. All right, so he's telling him, I'm going to be at work in the nations. And then it gets personal at verse 23. All right, and this is wonderful. And my wife suggested that I do this, and I want to honor my wife. Okay, can I get volunteers of three men of the congregation who would come and stand up here for me? And you're not going to have to do anything embarrassing, you just have to represent someone in history. All right, so Heath's going to come up. I got Heath. I got Joseph. I need one more. One more brother out here. All you got to do is stand. It's really easy. 
who I got. All right, got John Downer. It's the only time I ever get to talk to John. Okay, there we go. So, <laughs> all right. So, this <clears throat> is what you guys are going to represent. Okay, you get to represent King Jehoiachin. Okay, king from the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, the last king before they went into exile. All right, you get to represent Shealtiel, who we don't know a whole ton about, and you get to represent Zerubbabel, our, our governor now in the new restored people returning back to Judah. Right? Okay. So Jehoiachin, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel. Hey, let's have some fun with this. I point to him, you tell me his name. Hey, we could do this all day. All right. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to explain to you why that's important. So, Zerubbabel was born into a mess. Okay? His daddy and his granddaddy and his great-granddaddy had a rough line going on. See, because his great-grandfather, Jehoiakim, I guess we could have brought up a fourth guy, right? I'll be Jehoiakim. All right. So his great-granddaddy, Jehoiakim, was an evil ruler of Judah. His granddaddy, Jehoiachin, was an evil ruler of Judea. And it was this guy that actually had the exile happen to him. Okay, Turn to Jeremiah 22. You guys still good? All right. Jeremiah 22. <clears throat> Turn to Jeremiah 22, 24 through 30. Listen to this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, if you were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I will hand you over to those who seek your life, those you fear, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to the Babylonians. I will hurl you and the mother who gave you birth into another country where neither of you was born, and there you will both die. You will never come back to the land you long to return to. And then there's the poetic section, verse 28. Is this man Jehoiachin a despised broken pot, an object no one wants? Why will he and his children be hurled out, cast into a land they do not know? Oh, land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as if childless. A man who will not prosper in his lifetime, for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. Jehoiachin, why don't you go have a seat? All right. We don't totally know the story of Shealtiel. Why don't you go have a seat? Okay. So what's happened, they've gone into exile under Jehoiachin, God has clearly said, I'm done with you guys. You guys are a mess. Right? And then Zerubbabel is born to that line in 
exile in Babylon. Okay? Can you imagine what it would feel like to know that your granddaddy messed it all up and now your father's born and living in exile and now you're born and living in exile and you're supposed to be part of the messianic line but God just said in Jeremiah 22 that the messianic line is cut off. How bad would you feel? I feel pretty bad. You, you can have to. Thanks. Thank you guys so much. Okay. So here's the deal. Now go back to the end of Haggai chapter 2. When he speaks to Zerubbabel, and, and remember, Zerubbabel, he's got king blood in him. He's part of the messianic line. But Zerubbabel's coming back as governor, not as king. So he's, he's fulfilling his leadership responsibilities, but without the title. He's governor. Now look, on that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. Do you hear the messianic in that? My servant. It's all over the Old Testament. The Messiah gets called my servant. And the chosen one. And he says, I'm re-choosing you. I'm putting you back into space. And I'm going to make you like my signet ring. The signet ring which signifies authority and power and conviction. So. What about you? Maybe you've been through some painful circumstances, like the elderly, who were standing there at the temple and going, this isn't going to be good. Or maybe you're thinking about all that you've lost in this life. And I know a bunch of your stories, and I know my own story, and I know that we've all experienced loss and regret and disappointment. And if that's you this morning, I ask you to remember that all of God's promises are yes in Christ. That is a clear teaching of the New Testament, that God is the restorer of his people. And maybe you feel like Zerubbabel. Maybe your family background is a mess. Maybe you've done stuff that's a mess. Or maybe other people have done things to you that are a mess. And if that's the case, I urge you to remember how God treated Zerubbabel. Because maybe you think you're unfit for participation in the kingdom of God. And for you, God says nothing could be further from the truth. Because in 1 John 1.9, he gave us a glorious promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So in Christ, you can get off the bench, you can get back in the game, and you can ask God to use your life to bring glory and honor to Him. Because you know what? You are not worthless. You are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. And in Christ, the God of the whole universe has called you His own. And he set you apart for his service. And that's a high calling indeed. Why don't you pray with me while the worship team returns?
Father, it's been a joy to look into your word and to find out that you are the restorer of your people, that you give back all that we have destroyed. You give back what's been taken away. Um, you simply ask us to root our hearts in you. Father, as I was just saying to my daughter yesterday, uh, no one's heart will be happy unless it's in Christ. And so I pray that you would make that real to us, Lord, that you'd be the joy of our hearts this morning. I pray that as we continue to worship you, uh, that we might find your blessing and your grace at the foot of the cross. And for those who are here, God, maybe someone's here that that has not taken up your offer of mercy, that has not realized that they are stuck in their own sins and has not asked you to forgive them. And so, um, Lord, for that person, I do ask that you would show Christ to them, help them to see that he lived a perfect life that they could not live. He died a death that wouldn't have counted if you, if I or they had died it. Um, and he rose again in power, sealing the deal. And so we ask that if there are people here that have not received you, Lord, that you would make yourself real to them this morning. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.